Welcome to the Art of Unraveling podcast. My name is Erin McGuire, and I'm an empowerment coach and guide here to empower you into feeling completely worthy of a business and life that you love. This podcast is the place to learn how to unravel anything keeping you from that abundant, beautiful life that you so deserve. Nothing is off limits here as we navigate life through psychology, science, and spirit. Let's get into today's episode. Welcome to another episode of The Art of Unraveling, and I am so thrilled, so excited to have a dear friend here, client turned friend, Julie Ireland, uh, with me today, and oh, we've got some good topics for you all. I just want to introduce Julie by saying that um, she <laughs> found me through a Facebook ad, ironically, uh, it was an ad, I think, for a retreat, like a local retreat. And then I think so. I think it was, for, I think it was for Lightworker Academy. Was it? Okay. I, I'm pretty sure it was. Okay. Uh, so she found me for, through that. And I remember our first conversation, Julie was really interested in learning healing techniques and becoming a coach, but a bunch of fear came up as it does and you know all that imposter syndrome crap that we do like who am i to do this who am i to you know step into my purpose here on the planet and into being a light worker mm-hmm. um and in what what i love about julia that i've always said to her is like in one conversation she had shifted from the fear to just like okay i'm going to do this <laughs> So it doesn't take long for you to shift out of it. You don't stay stuck there for the most part. Is yeah, that fair? Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. <laughs> yep. She's since we've since traveled around the world together. She's come to Bali and Ireland retreats with me. And now we're headed to I- Ireland, Italy in September. And I'm just really, really excited for that. And mm-hmm. it's just a joy, like seeing you grow. And I know there's so much more for you and, uh, it's a joy, like being your friend as well. Oh, thanks. Yeah. Did I leave anything out that you want to also share about yourself? I don't think so. I mean, I'm a mom to two grown kids that still seems to shock people, but okay. Thank you. Thank you. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I'm a mom to two grown daughters um, and, you know, parenting changes. Um, But I think, you know, you go through lots of transitions. It's just another transition that you go through in life. And so I think, you know, I know for me, one of the reasons why I'm here is to help other people through what can be very heavy, very um, emotionally charged transitions that sometimes people don't don't even know where to start or how to navigate or how to feel their way through it. Right. So, um, you know, I guess I got to be (laughs) through some self-created and not so (laughs) self-created transitions that, uh, I can be a subject matter expert. (laughs) (laughs) Just love and empower and support people through that. Right. For sure. And that's always what I say. Like, you know, you using your, what you've been through to help Mm -hmm. others, like your greatest pain 
becomes mm-hmm. your greatest joy when you use it to help other people. And yeah. that was told to me in a dark time in my life. And it's mm-hmm. proven to be true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So right before this call, Julie was, we were just kind of catching up and she got into some topics that I think are hot topics for <laughs> a lot of the listeners out there, a lot of women in general. Um, I'm not excluding men because I'm sure men deal with this too. Um, but it's certainly women can relate to this. And that's the topic of being a rescuer or and or a fixer. It's basically the same thing. Uh, and how that affects your everything, <laughs> your life. Mm-hmm. And Julie and I are both, uh, I would put us on the recovering end of being fixers and, you know, people pleasing kind of is in that category as well. It all comes from that fawn trauma response. Mm-hmm. But um, what do you want to, what do you want to share, Julie, about, you know, be, you, your words are fixer, like being that yep. fixer. Yeah. How has that shown up in your life? Um, give us yeah. some examples. Oh, sure. So, I mean, I think, you know, some of my earliest memories of that showing up in my life is just growing up with my twin brother. Um, and, um, you know, Aaron knows this, but my twin brother was born with some facial deformities. So, I mean, that's the truth. Um, and so naturally, (laughs) cruelly, he was bullied a lot when we were kids. Um, and, you know, I decided, made a decision at a very young age that, you know, it was one of my jobs was to protect him and make sure that people were nice to him and that he didn't get hurt and those types of things. And that was just kind of a natural, you know, I don't ever remember my parents telling me that that was my job. I don't like, I don't ever remember having that expectation set. That's just kind of what I naturally did. Um, And so, you know, as we moved through life, you know, that changed to, you know, I became a mom at the same time I graduated from college. So I have this other little human now that I'm (laughs) as where a lot of my um, counterparts were out exploring life because they finished college and we're going to go travel or get these amazing jobs and do all the things. I'm a mom. And, you know, my role is to protect and care for and do all the mom things. Um, and so that just kind of naturally fell into line with the experience I had already had in life was, oh, this is what I'm supposed to do. My job is to protect and fix people or myself or make sure people don't get hurt or like the list goes on and on. And into that, to your point, Erin, also learning the very fine art of people pleasing, mm, um, yes. to the point of, you know, complete and total self-sacrifice and self-shutdown. Like we learned, I learned very early on that my needs were unimportant, um, because every, there were so many other needs that needed to be met and, oh, I can do that. I can fix that thing, or I can be that person, or I can help with this task or, whatever that is, you know, and that even funneled into some of the roles I took on with my parents, you know, like being the emotional dumping ground for my, for my dad who 
doesn't know how to regulate his emotions. And because of that, like the dynamic between him and my mom was, you know, mom doesn't do emotions at all. And when she does, like it's anger and frustration. And dad was, was also the same, but his came out just very differently and completely dysregulated. And so I, you know, kind of became that literally the dumping ground for him to do whatever he needed to do emotionally um, to make himself feel better. And that just was like the normal thing. Right. Um, so, yeah. And then, you know, as the people pleaser too, you also become really great secret keeper. Um, there were secrets in my family that were kept for a very long time because of everything that was going on with my brother. I didn't tell anyone in my family that I was being molested after school every day. Um, you know, those are just, (laughs) there's something, you know, inherently as a child, like that would be the tipping point. And Mm. as a child, when you're already feeling just not secure, not necessarily safe. The last thing you want to do is jeopardize what is that, what you see, what you perceive as that last line of defense of safety by creating the next thing that puts everybody over the edge. Like, and that was all just subconscious, right? Like this six or seven, eight year old kid is making these decisions to protect my entire family at my expense. And so doing the work and understanding how to heal just from the experience in and of themselves as life moved on, um, you know, like we were talking about earlier, like the next step in that is understanding and then, you know, providing comfort to myself about hey, if it's mine, I need to own it and I need to work through it and move past it, but also becoming critically aware of, I'm feeling some ick, but I, this isn't mine. This isn't my thing. And that is for me, like the red flag of, okay, you're trying to fix something that isn't yours to fix maybe, or you're people pleasing when that doesn't need to be happening either. So what are you feeling like you're sacrificing? Um, And really that awareness at that level to like do the next level work to take you through the next phase of healing. Um, Because that's, that's like the next step. And for me, like that start, you know how it is. (laughs) It starts really, really slow. And then you start catching things more quickly And you still get to those points where it's like, oh, am I ever going to be done? Am I ever going to get through this? And the answer is, well, no, but it's going to get easier, right? Like there's always going to be things that come up that, you know, trigger old memories or that trigger old feelings or put you back in familiar patterns, but your ability to recognize those things in those moments and choose something different happens quicker. Yeah. So then you're not unraveling one trauma on top of another trauma on top of another trauma. You are stopping one from happening in its tracks. And I'm not using like, like actual events necessarily, but that, that visceral response we have when we can flood back into the fight, the flight, the fawn, 
um, to those responses, those nervous system responses that trigger our adrenaline and our cortisol to dump. Right. Yeah. (laughs) And you know, the understanding and being able to start looking at, okay, so this is my modus operandi. Like I get it. I understand that this is how I, this, that's my automatic pilot. My automatic pilot is to, oh, I see something that needs to be fixed. I can fix it. And I can trace that in my own family. Like that's what my brother does for a living. That's what my, I mean, my sister has kind of the same mentality, although it manifests in different ways. My mother, like her whole professional career was built around those same types of things. So we come from a very strong line of protectors and fixers, right? (laughs) And so we're understanding that I'm understanding not just like where that comes from and starting to think about the generational healing that's taking place, but also like we talked about what that's cost me. Um, yeah, let's talk about like what it's cost you physically, yeah, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. Yeah. Um, so I think if we start with the spiritual, that's, it makes sense how all the rest plays into it. The biggest thing it costs me spiritually is always feeling separate. Mm. Like, Yeah. Just always feeling separate from everyone and everything. Um, and not just that, but like, you know, sitting in church, like our family went to church every Sunday because mom was a choir director, always feeling like, what do I have to do to be a part of this? How do I, how do I heal myself to feel okay with being in this environment and going out into, um, you know, other churches as an adult and constantly seeking that feeling to not be separate. And again, seeking that outside of myself. And it wasn't until I started doing this work was really internalizing the understanding that I'm not separate. Right. And not only am I not separate from you and I'm not separate from my family, I'm not separate from myself. Like my spiritual connection to source God universe is solid. Mm. And I choose to keep that line open. Um, And when I don't choose to keep that line open, that's when I know or when I'm feeling separate, that line isn't open, but that's not God's source universe. That's me for whatever reason saying, Oh, you're not good enough. Oh, whatever. Right. That this is (laughs) come back, come back to center, stop running away. It's like, and then, you know, what am I running away from? Cause it's not stuff outside of me. I'm running away from something that's going on either in my head or in my heart. Right. But not to interrupt you, but I guess I just did. Um, <laughs> not, uh, I just want to pause there for one second because I think it's important to share that you felt separate mm-hmm. because you literally had to create a separate 
self from who you really are, which is what we do in trauma. Yes. We have to learn to identify with this person who is a fixer, who is a people pleaser, who does have Mm -hmm. to make everybody around her happy in order to survive. And Mm -hmm. because we're biologically wired that way. So I think that's important to just like, yeah, there. Yep. Yeah. To put the pin in the map. Exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That, that is a, that is a coping skill, right? Yeah. Yeah. And it's the way that we also don't have to deal with our own stuff and our own trauma because we're focused on everything outside of ourselves. And so that, yeah. So that's where the first aha moment comes of, oh my God, you know, I, kept looking and wanting to blame. And, you know, you don't know what happened to me. You don't know my story, getting indignant about those things. And it's like, um, yeah, that's right. And that's not their fault. (laughs) That's not their fault. You know, that's, that's me. That's a hundred percent on me. And so when I was finally able to kind of sit with a lot of that stuff, you know, reconnecting with who I am instead of trying to play a role, like be somebody's fixer, be somebody's protector, be a mom, be a wife, be an employee, be whatever, right? When I could just really get in and connect with myself and understand who I really am and get to know that again, um, that's when you, my foundation started, when it really started to feel solid is when I started making the connections to, okay, so I spent all this time convincing myself how to be separate as a way to protect myself. And here's how it manifested with depression and it manifested with anxiety and it manifested with suicidal thoughts and it manifested with um, weight. I mean, just, yeah, the trauma of weight, (laughs) because the, by and large, people put on weight because they have a need to feel protected and that needs not being met. And so our body responds, not just with stress eating or emotional eating, but your cortisol levels are whacked. Your adrenals are out of whack. Your digesting goes out of whack and your body doesn't know what to do with all the stuff you're putting in it because it's off. Right. And another little pin I just want to put in that is from an energy. And I know, you know, this truly, I'm sure I've shared it with you in the Lightworker Academy program, but an energy medicine the two ways we, you know, um, where am I going with this? The reasons why we gain weight are yes, for protection and stuffing our emotions. Mm -hmm. Well, what happens when you have a sexual trauma, you want, like, you want to, this is going to sound harsh, but I'm just saying it in a general way. Mm -hmm. Like I broke out with acne after mm-hmm. my experience, I had acne all over my face, mm-hmm. like bad acne that would not go away. Yeah. It's like your subconscious is trying to make you quote unquote, look ugly in order to not attract the attention of a predator in that way. Mm-hmm. Right. 
And that's not, I'm not saying that either one of us, that I was ugly when I had acne or that if we have weight, we're ugly. I'm not saying that. It's just, I'm speaking the subconscious language, which says I have to protect her. She is unsafe. Let's do something immediately so that we make people not want to get close with her. Yeah. And you know, the unhealthy connection with food is dopamine. Yes. I mean that serotonin dopamine hits. Yeah. Yeah. All the hits to and processed make you feel better. Oh, created for that purpose. Please give me all the potato chips and crackers right now. The chicks away. Because I'm, yeah, mm -hmm. all the things. Yeah. Because I'm stressed (laughs) and what I'm feeling, I don't like. Right. So, yes. Yes. So I I don't want to feel. So give mm -hmm. me something so I don't have to feel. Right. And for me, what you were saying earlier, it was both. Like I not only was putting on weight to just to not be attractive or not get that type of attention. I was, but also, you didn't know that. I just, no, I didn't clear know to that. people. Not, yeah. We're I did not, not know that, that at the consciously. time. Yeah. Right. Was not doing that consciously for sure. But I also was experiencing emotions that I didn't feel safe to express. Right. Or emotions that came right. with information that I didn't feel safe to express. Right. So the solution to that is, <laughs> you know, I was too afraid to try drugs. Thank God. Cause I, I yeah, I just, yeah. Um, that would have led you down a different path. That would have led me down a completely different path. Yeah, for sure. Um, and so, you know, understanding but the addiction to food was just another oh, level of addiction. Exactly. It, and it's the same. It's the same, same thing, just different drug. Exactly. Same thing, yeah. different drug. Yeah. And it very much is an addiction for sure. Like, you know, it just is. There's certain things I don't keep in my house because even today, if I have a rough day, the first thing I'm going to want to go do is get into my pantry and grab out the bag of potato chips. Like that's just. Yeah what I know. Somebody else wants to go smoke a cigarette or get high yeah. or yep. drink a beer or yeah, right. it's right. no different. No. And, and nothing is better or worse. I think that's an important point too, to just like say like no addiction is better or worse. It's just right. If yeah. we can see them all equally, it's like mm-hmm. food is more accepted than smoking pot, for instance. Right. Right. So it's like, but if we can see also the addiction to eating the food, I'm just speaking for everybody now Mm -hmm. with that same kind of negative light, then Mm -hmm. it helps your brain go, Oh, this, you know, the brain goes away from pain and towards pleasure. Right. So if we're seeing the food as the pleasurable way we get high to not have to feel the feeling. Yeah. Yeah. You know where I'm going. Yeah. 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 I don't know what we avoid. Yeah. To avoid. I want to know, like, cause you mentioned, okay. You mentioned spiritually, it kept you mm-hmm. separate. You mentioned, mm-hmm. um, it, this fixing, let's, um, mm-hmm. bring it back to that. You mentioned that it kept you separate from source mm-hmm. uh, or f- felt separate. It being a fixer, like caused you depression, anxiety, it caused you mm-hmm. to create certain addictions to not have to feel things. Mm-hmm. But what did it do to you physically? Like, did you have any health issues because of it? 
do you think, or that you could contribute to it? I know that's kind of a, it's hard to make that specific connection. However, there's a lot of autoimmune disorders and chronic health issues that yep. we now see connected to trauma. Yep. Yeah. I think the first big, um, the first big health issue I got, I mean, it was in 2015 and literally my, my thyroid just quit working. Um, and you know, there's started on thyroid issues, right? Exactly. (laughs) And, you know, you go to your regular doctor and they're like, Oh, your thyroid's not working. Take this pill. And which, okay. Like I trust at the time trusted modern medicine and, um, thought that that was my issue. My only issue I I had been training and just ran my first half marathon. Like I was doing well with the types of foods that I was eating because I was fueling a, a runner's body and all the things. Um, and so, yeah, let's figure out this thyroid thing and see how that goes. Well, within a year, I, um, had stopped having periods oh, <laughs> and like what, you know, fast forward now, seven years later, I look back and go, gosh, you know, I was having issues with my menstrual cycle and periods when, when I first started having my period. Oh, and wow. But that so, makes sense with the energetically with the sexual trauma. Yes, exactly. Like, that's why, sorry, I keep interrupting nope. you, but I just think there's these points that I just know, and I don't mm-hmm. always say. And so you're helping me be like, mm-hmm. ah, we got to make sure we highlight this. Yeah. But this is why I always say and truly believe. And, and it's what I work on with clients is that, you know, disease happens, it starts here. And it starts mm-hmm. with what happens to us in childhood because of trauma. And nobody comes out of childhood unscathed. Like, right. you know, whether you had a mean sibling or your parents, you know, were addicted to drugs or you got bullied in school, you know, right. like nobody comes out unscathed. And so yeah. I think we just all need to get off our high horses, admit that we probably have some trauma in there somewhere and freaking learn how to regulate our nervous systems, like period and stop avoiding these things or thinking we don't need that because my trauma is not as bad as yours. Mm -hmm. Like that's just a story we've got to let go of and just own. Like I've probably got some in there somewhere. Maybe I don't even remember it. What do I need to do? Yeah. Sorry. That that was more of a tangent. No, because as you were talking, I was it brings up another really good point, Erin, about comparison trauma. Like, yes. so yes. the trauma that I experienced is very different than the trauma that you experienced and very different than other people that we both know, like, and that doesn't diminish the effect that that experience had on us as a human. Right. And it doesn't diminish the subsequent decision and choices that we made as either little people or adults to continue to try and move on through life. It doesn't change how it impacted our bodies. Like it doesn't change any of that. It's just a different experience. It doesn't minimize the effect of that trauma on another person, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, or physically. Um, And for me to sit here and say, well, you weren't sexually abused as a child. So you don't have, you know, that's not real trauma. No, that's, 
that is no. not my place to say, nor is it anybody else's. It doesn't change the fact that you may have been bullied as a kid for whatever reason, and your body still responded the same way. And it still created the same types of feelings and emotions that we didn't talk about or didn't even know how to talk about because we didn't have the words, right? When we were young. It, and I hate just, that's one of my, please stop comparing your trauma to everybody else's because yeah, it doesn't sure. matter. Your experience is yours alone. And how that impacted you is, is your reality and it's your truth. And I don't get to tell you what that looks or feels like. What I do get to do is hold space for you and create a safe space for you to explore that if you want to or not. Like, yeah, I'm also not in a position to force people to face their traumas and face their fears either if they're not ready. Um, I see it. I see the comparison happening in another way. Um, for a lot of highly sensitive people, empaths like ourselves, like what mm -hmm. I would do as somebody who listens to a lot of people's traumas. Um, mm -hmm. and I've heard devastatingly terrible things over the years. Yep. I would be like, oh, well, mine's not as bad as that person's. Mm -hmm. So then I minimized it. Yep. And then that's kind of a way of like bypassing it too. Right. Mm -hmm. Where it's like, yeah, it's not, it's not that bad, you know? So I think on the other side of that, making sure yes. you're not minimizing your trauma, no matter what it was, because, and it doesn't mean we live in trauma and like all oh, the suffering, oh, the, you know, so many bad things happened to me. That's called being a victim and that's not right. conducive to a healthy lifestyle. But what I'm saying is, uh, own that you have been through a lot mm -hmm. and that you've faced a lot of adversity and then look mm -hmm. at all the things you've done in your life just in spite of that adversity that you've been through. That's mm -hmm. where you, you can like grow. Cause sometimes I used to compare myself and go, well, I, these other people are so much further along than me. Mm -hmm. And then I get pissed that I had such and such thing happen to me when I was a kid, or if I'd had better, you know, support, I'd probably be so, you know, so much more further along or whatever. And it's like, right. Yeah. I think you, you understand what I'm saying there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But I think it, everybody's journey is different and how we get there and what we, you know, what we've experienced to even get to the point where we're at now, it's all different. And, yeah. you know, to minimize our own experiences or attempt to minimize others is just not okay. No, just don't um, do that. Yeah, just don't do that. Just be good humans. <laughs> don't do that. <laughs> don't do it. Uh, but, so, you know, Julie, oh, go ahead. No, nope, I was just going to ask a question. So if you want to follow yeah. up with what you were just saying, finish. Ouch. It's gone. Okay. Then my it's fault. Gone. Sorry. No, nope, it's okay. Um, I just wanted to ask, like, so, you know, going back to the fixer stuff, um, mm -hmm. For you, it showed up a lot with like protecting people. Yep. Feeling that need to protect people. Give me like, mm -hmm. I want you to, will you just do a little something with me? I want you to close yeah. your eyes and I want you to like, we're going to have Julie like really tune in and really feel what that feels like in her body and explain that because I want, mm -hmm. this is kind of an exercise I have people do that work with me, you know, it's like, 
we want to get into the feeling because mm-hmm. when you can know the crappy feelings and mm-hmm. you can know like how that is when you're in it, it really creates a lot of awareness so that next time that comes up, you'll be like, oh, I'm feeling that feeling. And then you can shift it. Mm-hmm. So what's like a, can you take yourself back to a time? Mm-hmm. Oh, this is Julie. We've done a lot of work together over the years. So <laughs> she's like, yep, got it. So don't be alarmed if it takes you a little bit longer. But the first step is you'd want to like think of a, a recent time that you felt that or it could if you have that awareness going back as far back as you want and feeling remembering a time and then you tap into that feeling of how you felt. So, Julie, what was do you want to give us just a brief uh, understanding of what this experience was that you last felt this or when you felt this, what you're you know what I'm trying to say. <laughs> yeah, sure. Um, you know, one of the most recent experiences I can think of is, is actually a work-related one. Go figure. Go figure. <laughs> we, we never try to fix at work. No. 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 Um, but, and honestly, that's where it's become the easiest to, to notice. Oh, you're doing that thing again <laughs> for myself. Um, yeah. Because uh, it's it's like this feeling of, like, I feel it right here. Um, She's pointing to not, her chest, right into the center yeah, of her it's chest. Just, it's like this, just like the center, like all the way down my sternum, the whole like length of my sternum. And it's like everything just contracts into that space. But then my shoulders come up and get really tense. Mm. And then I, I feel like it's like, I feel like I'm getting ready to run from something that is very scary. (laughs) Interesting. So that's what you just described as the flight response. So yes, yes. Yeah. So in a way she's going into that. mm -hmm. Talk to me more about this feeling. Okay. So there's tightness in the chest. Mm -hmm. Yep. And Um, tension in the shoulders. Tension in shoulders. Does it have any colors or images associated with it? okay if it um, doesn't no it's kind of like um you know how when you look at a like a fire like a in a in a fire pit mm-hmm. and you see like the merging of the yellow and orange flame and just kind of how it is moving yeah that's that's what it looks like oh okay. that's what it looks like and it's it's you know like long, like taking over the direct center of my body. Yeah. Okay. Like, like there's an explosion brewing. And what does that feel like when you feel that, when you felt that at work and maybe you're a little more advanced now, cause you're, you're more <laughs> aware of it, but yeah. What would you have done with that? If you felt that exact feeling, say two years ago at work, what would that make you do or think about yourself? Um, yeah, like that to me is, this is going to be terrible. You're going to fail this, you know, this isn't going to work out right. You're going to look bad to your peers. You're going to look bad to your leadership. Um, yeah, like chicken, little chicken, little, the sky is falling. (laughs) Oh yeah. 
And yeah. what, what do you think like in the past or even in this experience, no shame in this mm-hmm. game, mm-hmm. no shame in just owning what we do. Right. Mm-hmm. Did it, would it make you go take an action of some sort? Like, would you go up to your boss, like in a panic and say, blah, 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 you know, X, Y, Z is happening. Would it make you go home and eat the bag of potato chips? Or like, is there a certain action that you feel like you would take when you feel oh, that? Yeah. Like, no, I mean, that's, that's actually pretty accurate. It's like, um, I don't want to feel this way. I, how do I fix feeling this way? I'm not mm-hmm. going to be able to fix it at work. So I better just go own it with my boss. Even if it's not like really a, a big thing, it's become this big thing. And so I feel like I want to get out in front of it. So I'm going to go tell my boss what's up. And then I'm just going to say, Hey, I just going to take a few minutes away. And, um, you know, I would, go to the vending machine and find like a little package of cookies. Or if I happen to bring a snack with me at work, I'd go grab it out of the refrigerators that we have access to. Um, yeah. Yep. All of the above, (laughs) all of the above. Yeah. Yeah. So that's just a little exercise that those of you listening can like kind of take yourself through. It's like, what is Mm -hmm. the feeling? Where do I feel it in my body? Mm-hmm. How is it presenting myself? What does it make me think about myself? What does it make me want to go do? Yep. And yeah. then it's like, okay, Aaron, that's lovely. Now what do I do? <laughs> what do I do with it? It's still, I'm still feeling it. Yeah. But the, you know, the purpose, the first purpose is we've got to let ourselves feel it. Because mm-hmm. once you start letting yourself feel it, you'll be less likely to go into panic or go get the bag of potato chips. Or go be to your boss, like, oh my gosh, this is Mm -hmm. happening and that's happening. You know, like Mm -hmm. that's my response. My response is anxiety. So it's like when I'm stressed, boom, anxiety is my go-to, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So for me, it would cause like, oh, I got to fix this. Or I'm just even, I'm remembering a story I told you where my fixer came up, where a woman was telling me some really terrible things that had happened to her. And I, it was so interesting because after you do this work enough, so there's no judgment, no shame, wherever you're at on the work, but I've been working with my fix quote unquote fixer and rescuer for a while Mm -hmm. now. So I was able to actually stand there with her and I was having this internal conversation in my head. My head was going, you got to take her pain away. You got to take her pain away. You got to do something to take her pain away. Typical impact, Mm -hmm. right? I just wanted Mm -hmm. to like, like it, I'm making this motion of hugging the air mm-hmm. because that's mm-hmm. what I explain being a disempowered empath is we want to like take it all from the person. And simultaneously, this other part of me was saying, just stand there, just breathe and just hold this space for her. There's absolutely nothing you need to do. Like mm-hmm. she needs to unburden herself by sharing mm-hmm. this terrible tragedy in her life. Mm-hmm. And she did. And I did. And I was able to just kind of put a little bit of awareness in my feet, but my fixer kind of resided. And later at, when she was finished, she said, wow, thank you for letting me share that. Mm-hmm. And that was it. And I still had to deal with my fixer afterwards. Cause I was like, okay, now what do I say now? What should I do? You know? And it's just like, right. there's nothing to do. There's nothing to fix. Like sometimes right. as empaths, as light workers, as 
uh, sensitives Mm-hmm. as big hearted, open people, sometimes mm-hmm. our job, our doing is literally just standing there holding space for someone and knowing that your energy is going to shift that person. Yep. Yeah. And I know yeah. you can relate to that too. Yeah. Cause I think, you know, when those people are in front of you or whether it's virtually or in person, when you're listening to them, the dance for us is for the highly sensitives, the impasse is regulating ourselves to know, Hey, this person's not even done talking yet. There's nothing to fix. Just let them talk. Just let them talk. Right. And, and most of the time there is nothing you can do. Like you no, literally can't take no, people's pain away. You can't no, do that. No, but no, something in me, but we want to thinks that I can. Yes. Yeah. Cause that's right. how I was wired as a child. Like I yes. will be that person. Yes. I'm the strong one. You know, you mm-hmm. had to be the strong one. You didn't yep. even share what was going on with you. That was extremely like the most traumatic thing. You mm-hmm. didn't even feel safe sharing that. Cause you had to be the strong one to keep the family together. If you shared that everything would fall apart. Right. Right. Yep. So this is how we get wired. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Oh my goodness, Julie. Wow. So many good things. Yeah. I feel like we could keep going forever. And I always say that in these interviews, because there's just so much, so much to share. Yeah. And the fixer really is, I think in particular with women, we become fixers. Just, I think it's how we are culturally. Yeah. Maybe not every culture, but definitely in, in our culture, um, we're just, we're fixers. If we see a need, we figure out how to make it work. We figure out how to fix it. And that's not, that doesn't always serve us and it doesn't always serve the situation, but. Right. All right. So let's, between the two of us, mm-hmm. come up with a quick little list of like ways to get out of fixer mode. Mm, yes. Yeah. I love it. What are some things that works for you? So great question, because one of the first things that works for me is when I feel that feeling, whether regardless of the situation, when I feel that feeling in my chest and I feel it start to tighten and I just want to like, you know, kind of cave in around it. That to me is like, no, sit up straight and take a deep breath and just yeah, there's, there's nothing to fear here. You know, we can, we hand can handle this. Yep. Yep. Hand over heart, just stay in tune with my breath and remind myself the world is not on fire. Like it, it's okay. Um, what that allows then too, is instead of looking at a situation from a panic or an anxiety perspective, you can look at it a little more clear headed to be able to start problem solving. Cause I think, you know, as fixers, we get ourselves worked into a frenzy and then all logic stops and then everything is just <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Everything's broken and it's never going to work again. <laughs> but if we can stop that process and get back in tune with, Hey, I've got this, this is not the end of the world we can start seeing other possibilities or workarounds or just understanding, Hey, I don't have to fix this person's problem. I'm just here to hold space for them and love them. That's, that's all I have to do. Yeah. Um, Because I think that's another thing that drives our, our sense of panic or, or 
desperation is we don't want to let that other person down. Right. Like we already right. put this false expectation on ourselves that they're expecting us to do something. And that is like the farthest thing from the truth. Right. Yeah. But that's just our the story. story in our, yeah. That's our story. Um, so yeah, that's the first thing I do is when I notice that feeling like really sensation in my body, that's the first thing I do is just stop what I'm doing, drop my arms down and take a big deep breath. And then my hand comes over my heart to just connect with what's really happening here. Yeah. I love yeah. that. Mm-hmm. I would just add, you know, uh, to that, to just say, just like a little mantra too. like, this mm-hmm. isn't mine to fix. I mean, that's mm-hmm. a really simple mantra, but like to just mm-hmm. say, this isn't mine to fix, mm-hmm. you know, this is not like I told you earlier, not your circus, yeah. not your monkeys. Like it's right. not yours to fix. Yeah. I can't take somebody's pain away. I can't, uh, yeah, I, I can just yeah. hold the space yeah. to let them. And mm-hmm. I can set boundaries so I don't have to sit and listen to everybody's stuff all the time. I was in a work situation when that woman approached mm-hmm. me. Yeah. I was open. I was working. I was on a, teaching a retreat, leading a retreat. I was in a space yes. to handle that. Mm-hmm. But I don't leave myself open to be quote unquote working all the time. Right. So right. there's setting boundaries to say, Whoa, Julie, I, you know, I want to hear what you have to say, but like, mm-hmm. I am just not in the right headspace right now. Can we, mm-hmm. can I call you later? Or can I call you yep. tomorrow? You know, like you get to, you get to set those boundaries yep. with yourself and with right. you. you don't have to just take it all on and take it all mm-hmm. in all the time. So that'd be my other. Yeah, that's a really great point, Erin, because I think in particular fixers, that's the second epic fail (laughs) is not setting the boundary and honoring it. Like it's one thing you can become really great at setting boundaries and then not honoring them. So set your boundary, but then honor it for yourself and for that other person. Yeah. Nap clapping that. (laughs) Yeah. Well, Julie, with our last little bit that's left here, um, is there anything you want to share? Because I am opening up the Lightworker Academy, not to like totally switch gears, oh, but yeah. I'm opening up the Lightworker Academy this August-ish. Yes. And um, I know it was the alchemy program when you took it, but yes. anything you want to share? Because I mean, it's like a 10 month program. That's like mm-hmm. such a deep dive into so yep. many different modalities, mm-hmm. coaching, energy, healing, emotional freedom technique, you know, somatic work. I know we've added a few things since you've done the program, but Mm -hmm. what do you want to say about like your experience with that? Well, I want to bring it back to one of the first things you said is about, look, we're always going to talk ourselves into being afraid of doing something that we know is going to be life-changing. Um, set up a call with Aaron. Aaron has my information. Call me. I mean, I push through the fear because the rewards of working through this program and learning all the techniques that help you regulate your emotions, regulate your nervous system, like really get in tune with who you are or get back in tune with who you are. Um, it's worth every minute 
of homework that you do and every minute of call time that you have. And literally, guys, I'm not kidding, every dollar that you spend, um, because you will not be the same person on the other side of it. And you really don't want to be like, and whether you choose to, you know, use that for work on yourself and just keep it that way. Great. That's, we need more light workers and we need you in the world doing your thing, whatever that looks like. Um, and for those people that want to continue and use those techniques and those skills that Aaron teaches you to become a coach or however you want to continue that work in the world and be that for people even better. Like you will have a large toolbox to draw from to help shift and join the shift that's already happening in the world. And I mean, you'll hear Aaron say it a lot. If you follow other energy workers or light workers or, you know, gurus on any social media, they're all saying the same thing. Like the time is now and the world is shifting. And as many people that are doing the work in particular, the light workers, like now is the time, like we need you. And I promise you, you will not regret, regret any of it. It's the biggest worthwhile investment I've made in myself, honestly, in my life. No question. Julie. No question. Mm. Yeah. And Julie does help me out with things too. So as we grow, you'll be Mm -hmm. seeing more of her too. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. So so sign up. (laughs) Schedule a discovery call and talk to Aaron. Sign up. At the very least, schedule a call, talk to me. Uh, it is both a personal growth and it's, you brought up a good point too, because it's not like you could be a light worker working on raising children that Mm -hmm. are, that are going to be the next generation of healers, whatever they turn out to be. Right. Right. So it doesn't have to be that you go on to be a coach or healer, although it's designed for that, you Mm -hmm. know, and you might find that you want to do that at some point Mm -hmm. that might change for you. So Um, yeah, like Julie said, it's, it's needed right now. We, you know, we need more light on this planet. It's shifting is happening and the more of us awake and creating those ripple effects, the better. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) It was a pleasure to have you on the art of unraveling today, Julie. Thank you so much for your time and all that you shared. Thanks for having me. It's good to be here. Yay. We've been talking about it and trying to do this for a while. So I'm (laughs) glad it finally happened. Me too. Ah, okay. Well, as we could, again, keep talking all day, but Mm -hmm. we should probably say goodbye for now. And we'll probably have you on again another time. Sounds good. Thanks, Julie. Yeah. Love you. Much love Love and light. Yes. Sending all of you love. If you have any questions, you can find all the information below this podcast or this YouTube video and reach out to me about the Lightworker Academy. Thank you so much for joining me today. If you liked this episode, make sure you subscribe and leave a review on iTunes. If you would like to connect with me more, you can find my website, my services, and my social media links all in the description of this episode. Remember, you are a beautiful and divine and powerful being and it's time to own it.